0: You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia.
1: The Dice Men Cometh! Good evening, good evening, good evening everybody and it is The Dice Men Cometh, your favouritest podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, and any type of games you can play over the interwebs and on a table. And yes, I have gone back and watched every single episode of QI in isolation, hence why I'm doing my best Stephen Fry impersonation at the start of every episode. Some people (laughs) have noticed that. And I am joined, as always, by
0: my partner, Mr. Garth. Hey, Leon. How's it all going over there in QI land?
1: It is very well. Like any good uh, stand-up comedy show, I have watched hundreds of hours of it and can remember absolutely none of it, except
0: I know that it was very, very good. I just remember when Stephen Fry had the mobile phone thing and he was talking German going, where's my handy? I've got my handy. Because apparently mobile phone in German is a handy. Oh, that's good to Go know. Go back and watch it. It's definitely there. It's definitely a lot funnier than that was.
1: So when I was walking when I was walking around Germany asking for handies, then people were giving that's why they were giving me their phones, right?
0: Yeah. Right. Anyway, that's the quality content that Australia and the Southern Hemisphere's best and most professional board game and tabletop podcast and formerly and hopefully futurely radio show will do. But more importantly, we have a very special guest tonight. Joining us from virtually the other side of the world, or at least the other side of the continent, and that special guest is the one and only Mr. Ian O'Toole. So Ian, welcome to The Diceman Cometh. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been a while. It has been a while. What's life yeah. like over there? Is, has anything changed? Have you heard of a thing called coronavirus in WA?
2: Oh, a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's nothing much has changed for me. I've been so busy. This is a really busy time of year for me. So,
1: Just working down the mine like normal?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I usually don't poke my head out very much these days, so that kind of works for the situation each we find each, ourselves in. I think. That's, yeah. that's
1: what we get told about people in Western Australia. You each have a mine. each.
2: <laughs> it feels like that sometimes. This oh, is my right. mind. And
1: also on this show, after we have a interview with our illustrious guest, we are going to be talking about the new nominees for the Spiel des Jahres that just came out a week ago just after we recorded the last episode and we're also going to talk about a game that we played before all this craziness happened that was a nominee only about two or three years ago that we hadn't had a chance to and that is the quest for
0: el dorado yeah that was in those bad old days where i had to actually come to your house leon remember those yeah it it was horrendous
1: comfiness and you know having people around and having to free chocolate be nice stuff. to them And they drank all the beer in my fridge Which is all just sitting there now Doing nothing No, know Not my whiskey cabinet though that, That's running dry very often <laughs> but, anyway,
0: but look We better get straight into this And for those listeners Who oh, I don't know Haven't listened to any episodes And clearly haven't played a board game um, Ian would you like to give us your Who
2: you are What you are And why should we talk to you <laughs> <laughs> uh, I may be the worst person to ask that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm a graphic designer and an illustrator uh, who works in board games. Absolutely, it's a short, short version of it.
0: It sure is. Now we had the the pleasure of meeting you for the first time in PAX several years ago, and uh, yeah. very luckily you had your copy of Glory to Rome there. But I wanted <laughs> to to get back into this little bit of a backstory, but because you you must be one of the very few people especially in Australia if not the world who are basically seemingly making a full-time living out of this board game situation is that the case for you yeah absolutely
2: yeah, yeah. it has been for the last uh, four to five years hmm yeah. so going going back to those you know heady days of
0: when you were you're still living in in Ireland I guess it was right was this your your childhood dream going I want to want to make the next Monopoly?
2: No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I didn't really play all that many board games as a kid. I played some like everybody, I guess, but I played D and D quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, other role-playing games, cyberpunk and middle earth role-playing game and stuff like that. So it was much more that sort of thing. And also um, some of the games, workshop games, um, the the tabletop miniatures games, uh, so I used to play a lot of that. I used to really love the artwork and things in those books. Um, I remember poring over those for hours and hours. But uh, no, it was never even into into adulthood. It was never really a. a, a <laughs> 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 I guess I, I came to um, to uh, board gaming fairly late, I suppose.
0: Yeah, because look, I've I've done my research here in so. Oh. My my internet sort of research tells me that you are a big
2: fan of designing petroleum stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, fan is a, a strong word.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what what's this? Because this is this is on on one website where you were interviewed, basically saying that you were in the process of of that was that was your gig. You were designing pe-
2: petroleum. Yeah bits and pieces is that well, right uh, well I, I i worked for a few studios design studios in in perth in western australia where i live mm-hmm. um and it's a big mining town mining and petroleum town so all of the decent sized clients are uh you know in in that sort of business so it's it's unavoidable yeah fair really not really bills. by choice yeah 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 <laughs> so not the most that... exciting work yeah
0: but how did that how did how did you get into this like you know because there's a there's a a lot of people in this industry go you know i could do it better than the the wonderful professionals or i've played a game therefore i can make Hmm. a game but obviously for you you've you've got the skill set of graphic design and illustration what was the the leap from having that skill set to using that skill set in in board gaming
2: um it was so i started working for myself um about five to six years ago now. Um, and at the start, I, I was busy, but not as busy. So I had a bit of time to sort of seek out, um, to try and widen my client base, basically. Yep. Uh, so I, told, I I was just getting into board games at that stage. Um, and I thought that would be a fun thing to do, <laughs> um, <laughs> basically. Um, so I post I post sorry
1: no, I was about to say we thought this would be a fun thing to do in the board gaming world and mm. f- seven years later we still don't make a bloody living out of it <laughs> some of us have to go to work in the morning young
2: man anyway I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll be, that's me
1: done. I've been up since 4 30 mm. in the morning I'll be fine <laughs> <laughs>
2: um yeah so I, I I posted some stuff on board game geek um And I got a bite on that uh, for what was at the time a a Kickstarter game, but got picked up later, uh, a game called Fool's Gold. Um, And then after that, a kind of just a series of events, random, seemingly random events happened. I met Martin Wallace at uh, PAX, PAX Australia.
0: a A little bit of a name in the hobby.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was playtesting with him and I was telling him what I do. And then he asked me, do I know anything about HP Lovecraft, which I do. And then he basically said, do you want to do the artwork for um, a study in Emerald? The second, what I didn't know at the time, but what turned out to be the second edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a stroke of luck, I guess. Um, I emailed Victory Point Games. I heard they're doing a new edition of Nemo's War which is a game I love. So I just, I emailed them and said, I want to do it. And they said, okay, I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So again, that's just me sort of putting myself in front of people and the same is true for um, Vitaliserta. So I, um, I actually, at the time I was toying around with the idea of publishing games as well. Um, Uh, So I emailed him um, to basically sound him out on that. Um, And he said, well, he he basically said, well, my next however many games are already signed. uh, But I really need the artwork for the gallerist done. Mm -hmm. Can you do that? So I said, okay, I can do that. Um, And they were kind of the three. All of that kind of happened in and around the same time, roughly in and around the same time. Uh, and they were kind of the three games that uh, got a fair bit of attention when they came out. So, Both good and bad. So
1: <laughs> basically, you've just got to email famous people and tell them that you're doing something in mm. their kind of sphere and that they have mm-hmm. to deal with it and probably pay you in the process. Is that, is that the advice you're giving to people here? Because I mean, that more, just certainly seems like the way it works.
2: More or less. I, I guess... <laughs> yeah more or less I, I mean it, it's the sort of thing where you you know I just put myself in front of people and said I yep. can do that do you want me to do it and they went okay sure for whatever reason um, and then it worked out um, that's cool because I,
0: like, I guess you know there's there's a lot of graphic designers and there's a lot of illustrators and for us lay people they may not immediately present themselves as being wildly different you know you can make right. things look good that's that's kind of the, the Pre- preview that we all get of it, but yeah. surely there's a big difference between being able to just do a pretty drawing and be able to be informative in, and instructive with you know mechanics that we have to deal with in, in, in gaming. So have you found that you know that that combined skill set that you have has been really beneficial?
2: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, I, yeah, I, I think the the thing that people responded to a lot early on and still respond to. Is the fact that I, you know, I've worked as a graphic designer for more years, a lot of time, a long time. (laughs) I'm no good. I'm no good with dates. A long time. Um, And I've worked in packaging design and I've worked in exhibition design, so I understand how to set up punch boards and boxes and special inks and all all of that sort of stuff, um, which is often a very mysterious process for a lot of publishers because it's a bit of a black art, it can be. It's not really, but uh, and it's also where a lot of costly mistakes tend to happen. Yeah. Um, and I've also worked as an art director, so I understand the confluence between graphic design and illustration, and I also work as a, an illustrator. But on top of that, I'm also a gamer. Um, so I can talk the same language and I understand what I'm what I'm looking at and I can I can understand ways to enhance it. Uh, or to make it simpler, or to you
0: know. Uh, I, I think it, yeah, it's it's the nature of working in tandem with the actual designer itself to get this this mm. vision created in hopefully the fewest number of pages in a rule book, which must be a challenge when you're talking with yeah. <laughs> with Vital cerda
2: Yeah, yeah, it can be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. As I look at my wall and go, Oh yeah, on Mars Escape Plan Gallerist, oh yeah, there's there's a novel or two in there.
2: Mm. Yeah, there certainly is. So they're definitely games that you know from Vital's point of view, he was really happy to find somebody who understood his games. Yep.
0: Now that makes perfect sense. And and clearly being in the most isolated city in the world hasn't you know, restricted your your capability to work with designers from all over the world. I mean, the the joy of what you do in a high speed internet connection is that, you know, the your room is your office is is your ticket to to see the world via board
2: gaming. I guess it is, but it's still really really important to meet people face to face. I I go to Essen. Well, I, not this year, but I go to Essen every year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get about. to that. Yeah. 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 Um, And it's expensive and it's, you know, I'm away from work and it is work, but I'm not, you know, producing work. Yep. Um, But it's really, really important. And even going to, you know, when I was in Pax Australia and again, I just happened to meet Martin Wallace. That would never have happened if I wasn't there. So it's you just, I don't know, it doesn't really matter where you are in the world. You need to go to at least one of these big shows, I think.
0: Yeah, I think there's always an element of serendipity that will um sort of help you in these kind of instances, isn't there?
2: Yeah, yeah, and you just you end up having pie in the sky conversations uh after hours that you know may may not come to anything but kind of build those working relationships and get you in people's mind when you're when they're thinking about future projects and things like that. And, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, networking is not just about the official meetings; it's about those, um, yeah, after-hours, you know, dinners and drinks it's, that uh, that help solidify 100% the relationship. Hundred percent. <laughs> <us. laughs> so, look, I guess you're kind of in a in a pretty enviable enviable position in the in the space that you occupy because you are making this this full time gig. But but what's the pressure like on that? Because I'm I'm assuming, you know, it's the opposite to a lot of a lot of designers or. or artists and graphic designers i guess where they're they're trying to get work to get to to the publisher have you got a lot of publishing designers sort of knocking down your door and and you're having to say wait in line
2: um a a bit yeah i have a bit of that um which is nice i mean it's it's not a problem um (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah yeah i've i've been pretty lucky i think with people who have come along and asked me to work with them and and also, you know, I, I do seek out particular types of jobs sometimes as well, um, yeah. but yeah, I've been, I've been pretty lucky so far.
0: Fantastic. So let's get, let's get away from your, your professional gaming and talk about Ian, the gamer. I'm presuming, I'm presuming you're going to have a well-trodden story of I played Catan and then I went to get yeah. a little bit, a little bit deeper and, and went there, but Okay, well, was Catan this game that sort of set you on this this new path of yours, or was there this light bulb moment for you playing some game earlier in your your gaming career, as it were, that that has led you sort of to fully embrace the hobby?
2: Um, it no, it was it was Catan. Yeah, Catan was the first game that I played that was just very different to anything that I understood board games to be. Uh, and then, it, but at that time. It was every game I played was very different <laughs> it just <laughs> happened to be the first one but then I played Dominion and then I played Agricola um, and all of these were vastly different and uh, you know exciting and all that um, and Race for the Galaxy and yep. um, you know all, all, all games that I played pretty early and each one in succession was just a new frontier basically. <laughs> So what's the favorite? What's
0: the game that, you know, is still the one that gets to your table or you want to get to the table as as regularly as possible?
2: Um, I don't know. Is that the same question? I'm not sure. My my favorite is still Glory to Rome. Great. Um, And I still play it pretty regularly. Um, I'm lucky enough. My wife really likes it. (laughs) (laughs) How are you going to get
0: the rights for that
2: game, Ian? We need you to need to make that game happen. I don't think it's gonna happen ah, I mean no. somebody somebody might do it I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll see oh, but that be, I don't that I don't the have to, I don't have the means to, to make that happen <laughs> uh
0: yeah all right yeah. so let's look at let, let's look at 2020 but before we get to that Leon you, you better say something of are you, are, you, are you still there I am still
1: here <laughs> I just it's I'm listening to a conversation it's it's weird because I'm listening to Garth which is a thing that I do quite often sadly, but then I'm also listening to somebody that is the best in the world, in my opinion, at a certain thing. It's kind of a crazy thing to think that I'm even speaking to somebody that's the best at <laughs> something. Um, is it, are you still talking because, about me? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> and the reason I mention this is because um, when we first met Ian, he played um, Lisboa with us, which was not even out but at the time. Right. And I still, yep. to this day, even though that is – in terms of the style of game, is not in my wheelhouse in the slightest, but from my yeah. money, that that board that you designed is possibly, I still think, the best bit of board gaming art. I've said for ages that I'd quite happily have that board on my wall somewhere. I was just enamored of it when I was playing it with you and just looking at all the stuff going, this guy across from me did this,
0: and this is amazing looking. Hang on, except that one blank spot that you've still never gotten over, Leon.
1: I wasn't going to mention that, Garth. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention the one little blank spot which I gave him the best idea of what could fit in there perfectly and did do it. You
0: can't out too much. You're not Mark.
1: You know, whatevs. Uh, but my, I did have actually a question after I got the gushing out of the way. And the question was... <laughs> well, thank you. That's,
2: yeah, thank you. Uh,
1: the, the question was that um, is there a style of game, be it, say, a you know, worker placement deck builder, is there a style of game that you've possibly done before in the past or even not at all? That you'd like to, to sink your teeth into a bit more,
2: um, as I, as regards working on the game or playing and, the in working game. on the game,
1: probably from more okay. of a, the the art and kind of the layout kind of aspect. I guess is what I'm asking.
2: Um, I don't know. I really like doing Euro games. Yep, because they, they tend to be more sort of puzzly and and mechanical on the on you know the the board and the the pieces themselves tend to be more of a a puzzle for me to work out what's the best way to present it. So I like doing that. Um I'd really like to do a Feld game, a Stefan Feld game. I haven't done that yet, but I think that would be a good a good fit.
1: Well, I did hear from somebody quite prominent that if you just send him an email telling him that you're doing his next game, <laughs> that it just falls straight <laughs> into your lap and you'll be completely fine. You no, know, I
2: did I tried that with his games actually and it's, oh. it's, it hasn't worked. Yeah, it has not worked yet. Oh, where was the last
1: time you tried, though?
2: Because hey. you've got to remember
1: that you're, you're a Kanga winning artist now, right. so you've that's got right. yeah, you've got yeah, yeah. all the clout, on. sir, all the clout. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, about two years ago, I think, was the last time I tried.
1: Yeah, oh, that's an eternity. Yeah, go go back again and do it. I reckon. Go back again. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, on that note, going back again, hey, how how's that looking for 2020? It's not going to be the world's best year for for gaming <laughs> conventions, is it? <laughs> Oh, it's such a shame. I mean, you know, us in Tasmania and, and presumably you in, in WAE and you know, we get used to being isolated. That's just part mm. of the deal that we we accept. But we have these little beacons of light. And for, for yeah. some of us it's BorderCon and LFG and Pax Australia. And for, for someone like you it's it's going overseas and, you know, doing this networking during hours and, and after. So what do you think is going to be happening in terms of that that networking space for designers and publishers and illustrators over the next you know six to twelve months, if not longer? Do you think that things are going to have to change too much?
2: Um, I I don't know. I mean, I I, th- I think we all knew that all the conventions were going to be cancelled. It's only just yep. officially happened uh, this last week, I think, which is Essen yeah. and and GenCon. Um, uh so I, I mean really i know they're are...
1: still on the cards though i think at the moment at
2: the moment <laughs> no announcements but... <laughs> yeah I, yeah i'd be surprised and even if New. it was i don't think that many people would want... Yeah, i don't know yeah. we'll, we'll see so i don't know i know i know a lot of publishers and things and events are doing sort of virtual conventions and exactly how that's going to work i don't really know mm-hmm. Um. But as regards keeping, you know, from a professional networking point of view, um, I, I don't think there is a substitute, to be honest. No, you know, face-to-face uh, yeah. is,
0: is just, it's it's it. You know, it's, it's where you get the, the real connection. You get to, you know, yeah. just talk to, for the wee hours and um, yeah, mix yeah, your but, business it, and it's, pleasure.
2: It, it's also like, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, Christmas in a way where everyone's on the same page for what they're doing for that space and time. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's or not everybody, but most, a lot of people are on holidays at, at Christmas time and they all want to get together and have fun and all that. Whereas at, at a gaming convention, everyone is 100% thinking about games yeah. and the games they're designing and the games they're publishing and what's coming up. And it, like everybody's focus is on that every single conference, not every vast majority of conversations are about games. Um, so it's just a very positive um environment for, you know, relationships to form and, and projects to flourish and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, in, in the absence of that, um I think uh people will just need to connect virtually more. I, I yeah, I think that's pretty much but it, it really is no substitute. No, not none whatsoever.
0: So, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll get this year over and done with in 2021. Can be bigger and better. Now, just a yeah. couple of things before we sort of draw this one to a to an end. What using this as as inspiration? What can you think of as a uh, as a new style of Corona or COVID themed game? What what springs to mind given the situation <laughs> that we're currently in? That's not just a pandemic or clone.
2: Uh, I am genuinely hoping. I'll be honest that we, once it's gone, we completely forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) I could really do it like playing games or watching films about it. I just, maybe in 30 years time, maybe, but in the near future, I'm hoping it's just not a thing. Yeah, that'd be nice. (laughs) I think that's what we said about Trump as well, didn't we? Mm, Yeah. yeah. I think there is a
1: board game to be made about, I don't know, just the simple fact that seeing people right now, like if you see people shake hands, you just go, Ugh, and, ha- right. and the, your reaction to just the way that the world is at the moment. I don't necessarily think it needs to be a COVID thing, because again, I'd like to forget that as well. But just mm. the way that we look at the world, I think there's definitely a game in that somewhere, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, it's, it's definitely amazing the way, first of all, it's something that the whole world is dealing with. Which doesn't happen very often um, but also yeah it completely reshapes the way not not even the way that you interact with people in real life but the way that you you know if you're watching a tv show and there's tons of people in a cafe and they're all hugging each other it just seems weird <laughs> it just seems very strange um, yeah friends that was we...
1: ridiculous before all these people sitting
2: around right, that yeah. seem to never go <laughs> to work
1: but now it's right. just look at them there's like there's three people on one couch
0: Unworn yeah.
2: catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's
0: strange. All right, I got two more questions before we wrap this up, Ian. The first one is, who's the competition? Like, you know, is, is there this, you know, in, in board game designers, there's these echelons and you've got your Kinizias and your Lacerdas and, you know, a few people at the very top and you, you trickle down. And, and look, I mean, you know, as Leon said, you are, you know, one of the world's most recognizable board game graphic designers and illustrators and, and yeah, you know, congratulations for all your hard work on that. But, but who do you, who do you compete
2: against? Like, you know, who, who is the competition for you? Um, there's lots, there's lots of, lots of people. Um, some of whom I know and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. You know, we, we have a, a Slack where we chat to each other and bitch about clients and things. <laughs> 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 um, so uh, there aren't that many people who do both who do illustration and graphic design. There are exactly. some. Um and but there aren't that many that I know. I tend to know illustrators, a lot of illustrators. Um so you know, you know, um Quantry, um uh Lena and David, who are Mr. Cuddington. Yep. Uh Tanya, Tanya Walker, um you know, lots of people like that. Um but uh, you know, as I said, there are people who do graphic design and illustration as well. But I think, I think most of them are illustrators before graphic designers. I, I think maybe that's fair to say. And I tend to come at it slightly from the other angle. Yeah. Um, from a graphic design first standpoint, so I think that kind of separates me. But you know, the the word competition doesn't really enter into it. To be honest, it's not a it doesn't feel like a competitive market. It doesn't feel like people are vying for the same work and stepping on each other's toes. You know, that just doesn't happen. It's all, it's all very amicable. And is that a solid. reflection
0: on the size of the hobby when you compare it yeah, to I th- I you know, think so. video yeah. games and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah all right. I, last, I, I think so. Yeah. Excellent. Last question before we, we draw this one to a close and, and move on to some other games is you've got a decent wall of games behind you there. Hmm. And obviously your knowledge of board gaming is pretty large. So what what game do you need to drag off the shelf and just redo? What game do you need to make look a lot better than it currently does? <laughs> and, and you can be totally honest here. Yeah, please. And you can
1: just actually email these people and make it happen. We've, we've discovered yeah. this ability. There's this power of email um, that you
2: have? <laughs>
0: Carpe diem's pretty ugly. Yeah.
2: I came, I actually came... Quite close to redoing Carpe Diem, but it, it didn't happen in the oh. end. Um, yeah, I would have liked to have done that. Yeah, um, I would. I've I've spoken before. I would quite like to redo Castles of Burgundy, but mm-hmm. um, that also has not happened. Um, I think they're probably the main two. Castles of Burgundy is the big one. Um, yeah. I'd love to, as I said, I'd love to redo Glory to Rome, but that's not because the edition is bad; it's just it's not available.
0: Yeah, I think the world would like you to do that.
2: <laughs> or, so or again, somebody. if you can make it happen. A, somebody to do a good job on it, it doesn't yeah. have to be me. Just release
0: somebody a print and play go. version. We'd all print it off for you.
2: <laughs> please, yeah. please. I'm not sure who's going to pay for that, but okay.
0: <laughs> I've got a bottle of red wine. I'll send that to you by courier.
2: Mm, mm. Oh yeah, I'll tell the family that. we <laughs> this month.
0: Surely I can pay you in exposure. Isn't that how it works?
2: Mm, yeah. Thanks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right Ian well look we better draw this one to a, a little bit of a close because we've got to come back and actually talk about a couple of games and uh, a couple of awards that are, are coming up for this year still so mm. look Ian thanks so much for your time um, no you're going to stick around for the rest of the episode uh, you're with the Men Cometh it is or isn't Edge Radio 99.3 FM and we will be back after this break brought to
1: you by our good friends at LFG Australia <laughs>
2: Hi, this is Shim from Garful Games, and you are listening to The Dice Men Cometh, a podcast about all things board game related, brought to you by a pack of Australians, which, as we all know, aren't very good at sports, but are great at going on and on and on and on and on about anything that doesn't really matter, which is perfect for podcasts.
0: And there you go. That was so and so with what'sy whatever it was with The Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio ninety nine point three FM. With thanks, of course, to our long term sponsors LFG, who we love. Now, Leon. You want yes. to talk about a game that we played a lifetime ago.
1: We did. We actually played a physical version around a physical table in my physical house. And that yes. game is... Tom Jones? <laughs> right, that should be enough. We shouldn't get sued for that, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> anyone? I really liked that movie. That was back when, um, for a little while there, DreamWorks was kind of on the Disney Pixar level, and then kind of changed quite drastically after that. But early two thousands, for any children out there, check it out. <laughs> well,
0: that's right. You were a children in early two thousands, weren't you? While well, those of us had finished high school was. and started life and yeah.
1: I was one of those
0: teenager type contraptions. All right. So... We'll talk about something you do know about and not children
1: okey I can do that, because deep in the dense jungles of South America lies El Dorado, the city of gold. Unlimited treasures wait in the lost kingdom. Gold, jewels, and precious artifacts. You are a group of daring adventurers who embark on a search for the lost city, slip into the role of a brave expedition, leading your and guiding your team to the lost city of El Dorado. <laughs> a similar team of experts. For your expedition, acquire valuable equipment and plan your journey wisely. Whoever crosses the border into the Golden City first wins the game and claims all the treasure. Sounds fun, doesn't it? I hope so. Yeah. Well, it is. So that's our review. Cool. It's fun. Excellent. This (laughs) is a 2 to 4 player game. That is made by uh, Ravensburger Who have done many, many good things of late In the last couple of years And is done by Rainer Knizia He's done a game or 75 in his time I believe And this was a game that was nominated For the Spiel des Jahres Something we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show In 2017 It was nominated in the same bracket As Magic Maze And King Domino Which was the eventual winner Uh I personally think that both the two runner-ups are better, and I'm correct. (laughs) Ian, am I correct?
2: Did you do the art on one of them? No, no, I didn't. Oh, Uh, Oh, the uh, do-something
0: porn is fantastic.
2: (laughs) That's the only time
0: Leon should be banging the table during
2: a podcast. I do not like Magic Mayors, sorry.
1: There you go. You hear the here first. Ian O'Toole thinks that the Quest of El Dorado should have won. And he's furious about it. I can see him now. I think King
2: King Domino's a good... uh, I think King Domino's pretty good.
1: Yeah, it is good. But it's not as good as this, hence what we're talking about. And yet again, (laughs) I have buried the lead, as I do every week. I like it. So, whatever. So, this game is a mixture of two different things that I'm very interested in. It's a mixture of a deck-building game. A very basic deck building game, which you know every other game for a while there was a deck building game, so why not? But there's also a race game. And a race game is one of those things that there's not as many of them in the hobby as you would think that there would be. And it's quite a shame because when I think of race games, the first thing I tend to think of is that they're generally relatively simple. And I think you're going to be entertained when it comes to a race game. I think of things like Jamaica and more recently things like Flam Rouge, where you're just going to be sitting down and being entertained. So my question to you, lads, is where, where are all the race games? What's up with that?
0: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question because I looked at, you know, a, a, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of research for, for this break. And I also wrote down Flam Rouge as a game that I would compare this to and also maybe Karuba. Um, yeah. There hasn't got mm. the sort of the deck building elements to it. But then I'll look at something like Lewis and Clark, also with art by Vincent, um, and go, well, look, that's sort of a similar mechanics. You've got the deck building nature of Lewis and Clark. You've also got the race up or down the river. But yeah, it's probably a mechanic that could, could have a little bit more love. I mean, there's certainly a fair few car racy games out there in, um, you know, that, that you can play, but not in things that aren't cars or maybe scaling mountains in K2 or going down rivers.
2: Mm. I think it's probably really hard to design a good race game, what would you um, know, Ian? Well, <laughs>
0: not
2: not a, not a huge man, to be honest. <laughs> well, it's uh, like in in a in a, a, a Euro game or 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 a whatever a different type of game. You've got lots of ways to disguise who's winning. Yep. Right. You've got secret goals. You've got excitement at the end. You know. Oh, I'm, I think I'm winning, but I don't know how I did on these things. And you've got like points conversions and you know all that sort of stuff that can go on. To make people feel like they've still got a chance to win. In a race game that's often not just not possible depending on the game. You know there are some games that overcome that with secret stuff. You know who who are you betting on as opposed to who won and all that sort of stuff. Yeah okay. Um, But often and you mentioned Lewis and Clark which is certainly probably on the heavier end of race games. Um, I I think that's a problem or something that's often cited as a problem with Mm -hmm. that game whereas you can be halfway through the game and it can be very obvious, you know, who's going to win. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think that can be a problem with a lot of race games where it just becomes, you know, going through the motions for the last three or four rounds because you know who's going to win. Possibly
0: a one-horse race, even. Mm. Mm. There's a
2: board game oh, for yeah.
1: you. One-horse race, the solo version. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lots of fun had by all. <laughs> so
1: the, um, the illustrations in this game are done by Franz Wolfwinkel, which is an amazing name, I must say. I probably Franz
2: Boe Winkle is, is an artist that if you looked him up on BGG, you would be astounded at the amount of games he has illustrated. So he did, he did the German, the original German version. Yes. And then Vincent yeah. did the English release? Uh, he did everywhere else, I believe. <laughs> gotcha. I think so. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and for the listeners at home that can't see the video, when we mentioned uh, Vincent Dutrait, you should see Ian's face and just his teeth scowling back and forth. (laughs) We asked him before about his rivals and he clearly skirted the question. He he knows who his rival
2: is.
1: (laughs) But don't worry, Ian, we do you a service because every time we mention Vincent Dutrait, we make a ridiculous attempt at pronouncing his second name. Uh, His name, yeah. Yeah.
0: So we we do you a good service there. So
1: anyway, <laughs> the quest for Eldorado. Yeah, what's this
0: game about, Leon? I'm not even I'm not even sure. Apart from trying to get some gold. Okay, so like I said, it's a race game. You are trying
1: to be the first person to get to the golden steps of Eldorado.
0: But how are you going to do that? First,
1: you're going to create the board. Now the the board is a series of connected different uh, tiles that have different spaces on them. And the beauty of this game is that there is so many different combinations in the base game. On the, like the map they give you, there's five or six. If you go onto BGG, there is hundreds of them that you can download. There's so many different combinations. And the person that recommended uh, this game for us to play, actually, even though we probably should have played it years ago because it was a nominated game. We just never got around to it. Um, was one of the, um, the, the good friends of the show that, that mentioned we should give it a crack. And when I said to him, you know, what do you think of the expansion? He said, I don't know. I've played the base game like 50 times. I've not even looked at the expansion because I've got another 100 combinations that could possibly happen. Mm. So, you
0: know. It's, it's those... basically a a connect a board of interconnected hexes and on each of those hexes is a lot of little hexes. Yes. Kind of.
1: Yes. There's many, many hexagonal shapes, especially on like the board game box now that I'm looking at it. But as I also said, it is a deck building game. So the actual mechanic of it is that you're going to be playing cards from your hand and they're going to be having various different symbols on them. And they're going to be symbols that are like the different terrains you're moving through. Like for instance, you need uh, the green cards which have machetes on them to move through the forest. You need the blue cards with the oars to move through the oceans. There are cards that have gold coins on them. You need them for two different things. One of them is moving through the cities in the game, which are the encampments, sorry, but also you use them each round to buy new cards because like any good deck builder, You can buy different cards as you go along to make your deck more cooler and, you know, as it proceeds. And that happens very quickly in this game. You very quickly get those new cards and quickly get them into your hand, which is nice to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you've got the couple of main currencies in this game and and a lot of deck builders have at least two currencies going on. In this one, you've got the gold, the money that you'll use to buy your cards. And your second currency is movement, where you've got to decide on every single turn, am I cashing in these cards of which... Is it you just draw four on any given turn? It's, oh, that's it's it. not a huge. Yeah. No, So it's you really, cause... it keeps it tight, but you've got to really decide, do I want to spend my cards on movement or do I want to cash them in for gold? And that's going to completely depend on whereabouts you are on the map, the terrain mm. that your pawn is on and the terrain you want to go and visit, the cards that are available, which are, although there's a lot of cards, the ones you can actually purchase are pretty limited. So there's a lot of little decisions that you've got to make on every single turn And that's just the card building, deck building side of things, not even the the racing side of it so much. Yeah. And the beauty of this
1: game is that since it is pretty quick and pretty simple, the cards, like I said, they'll come into your hand and go pretty quickly. But there's also cards you can buy that you can get, like, really powerful abilities that are just one-offs. Normally in deck building games, you don't want to get them because you want to build that awesome deck, that awesome engine. But in this, you're moving so quickly that it doesn't really matter that you get that one-off superpower that you could need. There's also uh, base camp spots you can land on in the game, which does... uh, you know, our colleague Mark's favourite thing, which is the thinning of the deck, getting rid of some of those smaller cards that are a bit meh. So as you will be going along, you'll be trying to move as quickly as you possibly can. You'll be trying to block your fellow adventurers, because that's the thing in this game, very much annoying to everybody, <laughs> that yes. you can't go in the same space as somebody else, so you can jump right in front of them, which is, you know, in any good race game, that is what you want to see.
2: Yeah, it's... it's um It's been quite a while since I played it, and I only did play it once, so my memory is very hazy. Um, But the thing that I really do remember liking about it is the fact that you can see the board laid out in front of you, so you know where you're going to go. And there are different directions you can go in to cover different types of terrain and stuff, but you can see what's ahead of you. So when you're, you know, the typical deck-building decision of what cards do I buy, what cards do I try and get rid of, you can see what your priorities are going to be um for the rest of the game coming up you can you can plan your route and you can kind of go okay i'm going to go that way i'm going to go that way and because the cards in your hand give you movement um you can't just focus on where you are now and the cards you need now because that'll be great until you get to the end of that type of terrain and then all of a sudden you'll come (laughs) to a different type of terrain you won't be able to move at all and you've got a hand you've got a, a useless deck so you've got a You've got to get the cards you need now but you've also got to look to you know to the next kind of goals almost the next terrains you're going to be moving through
1: yeah because as i said there's an unlimited amount of combinations you could have of these different tiles but the, the base mm. setup up in the first game that it gets you to play is excellent at doing that where it very quickly shows you that very early on you're going to need machetes because you're in the jungle and if you look at the end right. of it you're going to need them at the end but all this whole stuff in the middle that if you don't build that mm. deck it teaches you essentially how to play the game while playing it the first time because you need to know these different abilities, which is a very clever thing I must say. And the one other thing about this game when it comes to buying the cards is a really cool thing is that because there's six different cards you can buy. And at any time, one of those stacks of cards is gone from the game, which I said can happen very quickly early on because it's a very quick game. You then can pick from 12 other cards at the top that you can possibly buy, which is a lot. And once you take one, that stack then moves down into the marketplace of the empty spot. So the next person could pick that card, but can only go back to buying the ones that are in front, which is an ingenious little mechanic for a game that moves along at a clip the way that this one does.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, this game is quick. It says 30 to 60 minutes and you would be hard pushed to play it for an hour, I reckon, um, because it's just not that simple, not that complicated. and it's And it's really not that long and even no. the deck building side of things it is a simple simple deck builder so for those players who haven't really done much deck building i think it's a pretty good introduction into that mechanic in the game because yes there are a dozen potential options but you're only ever going to be able to look at about 5 or 6 of those unless you're that person who's able to buy that one that can move down into the the purchasable slots it's pretty it's pretty simple and i think you know having a 10 plus age group is maybe giving the game a little bit too much credit.
1: Yeah, this is a game that, I mean, I wouldn't say that it should have been necessarily nominated for the Kinderspiel. It's not that kiddie because the kiddie games and the Kinderspiels are very, very, you know, really young children. But yeah, you could play this with a kid of, you know, I dare say like six or seven or eight very easily. I don't imagine it'd be too much hassle. Uh, So before we give our kind of thoughts on the game itself, I just wanted to quickly mention about the expansion and the the spiritual sequel that should have been out by now, but because the world kind of went and got itself in a way, it uh, hasn't quite reached our shores yet. So the expansion that came out a year later was a a modular expansion called Heroes and Hexes. So what this adds is adds more uh, tiles. So it gives you even more variability when it comes to building the opening board it also gives you new spaces on these boards which are curses that when you go there uh, there's various different tokens you flip over and various different bad things can happen to you like you could lose cards you could pay a card might go into your hand that is kind of useless that just takes up space things like that but to counteract that there is the heroes point of the heroes and hexes is that there are these various different kind of super base camps that go onto the edge of the tiles where you can go to and you can recruit these famous heroes from history and from fiction. That I'm sure for copyright reasons, none of them have their actual names on there, but, but we know who these people are. And I'm sure you can imagine from the, the jungle and exploring theme, who I'm talking about. And these are cards yeah, things of that nature. <laughs> And they go into your deck and they become like super powerful cards. But to get to them, as I said, you have to go to the edge of a board in one of the sections. And that could be quite a bit out of your way, but it could be the game winner because these things are so powerful. And then the one other thing that it adds, it is adds uh, companions or f- like familiars almost. And these are cards that start in your uh, opening hand. And they're just a way to make everybody's opening deck a little bit different than everybody else on the table. Um, there's things like there, there. There's a donkey, and I believe that there's a parrot, and like you know, little familiar friends and stuff. But these cards are really good because you can use them like all your other cards. However, you can make them. They have like a one-off super ability, which is the equivalent of exhausting them, which is kind of like saying you know, yeah, riding that donkey very hard or throwing the parrot off a cliff, which probably wouldn't work because <laughs> you know, it's a parrot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you get the idea. <laughs> the duck, you might want to use so it again. as a parachute. Oh, no, no, he's, he's done. Yeah, I went there. Gone, I went he's there. done, Got and said that now. So that's a thing in, that's happened. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it adds various different bibs and bobs. So like I said, it fits my Leon's criteria for a first expansion in that it adds more and you want more of a decent game. But it also adds things. If you want to add it, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. It's kind of up to you. And then a sequel to this game which is the gold, which is El Dorado, the golden temples, which you can play with as an expansion or a complete standalone. And this is what happens at the end of the quest for El Dorado. When you actually get to the city, this is the next section of that. This is an entire game set in the city of El Dorado. And you're trying to get to the temple that has all the crazy loot and whatnot. So you could combine them to have like one big super game or just play it by itself which sounds like an awesome idea, and I can't wait to get my hands on it when the world is back to
0: normal. <laughs> All right. Well, Ian, what are your memories of this guy. game, mate?
2: Um, I liked it. Um, it didn't make a huge impression on me. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of race games in general, and I'm so-so on Deck Builders. Um, so it's not really a game for me. I thought it was a really solid Spiel des Jahres game, though perfect for that sort of uh sort of broad family um appeal i I thought it worked really well um and as a certainly as an introduction to deck builders um it's great it worked really well yeah i'll
0: go next look for me yeah i think uh, i agree with you completely i think for a spiel nominated game it fits the bill completely i can see it on the shelves of supermarkets i can see a, Mm. a family putting it down and playing it quickly because it can be played quickly so that it can hold the attention of younger gamers. For me, yeah, it, it was too simple a deck builder and the race game, I don't know, it was, it was fun, but it wasn't long enough for me to really get my teeth into a race game. I, I kind of enjoyed the, a little bit longer just so that there can be a, a bit more ebb and flow because I do feel like, again, this can have a bit of a runaway leader in, in the times that I've played it. But, you know, I haven't tried it with the expansion. I'd certainly be able to give it another go because, at the end of the day, it's only half an hour out of my life, and I've I've got yeah, plenty of free time at the moment. Yeah,
1: so pretty much to to echo what you guys said is, I think that year especially with um with uh, Magic Maze and with King Domino, all three games could quite happily fit on anybody's kind of gaming shelf that could easily be brought out. It's a kind of a game that. As soon as you look at it, you're going to go, oh, that's I remember how to play this now. It's not very difficult at all. And as I said, it's a deck builder, but it's not a complicated one. It's a racing game but not a complicated one. So to teaching those mechanics to somebody young, it's grand. Now, a lot of older or more experienced gamers might say there's not enough to sink my teeth into. But like I said, if you with a certain group that really like this, the amount of combinations of those different terrains you can do, and the fact that, that you can get this out at, at any time. It could almost be a filler game. You could play this in probably 20 minutes yeah. with a group of three or four that have known it pretty well. And I think because of that, it's probably going to stick in my collection because it's got that nice little middle ground. And it fits in very nicely, as I've mentioned many times before, with the things like what I call my, my Sunday relaxing games, like Takedo being the king of it. Because you could just put this and go. Let's have a game of this. It's going to be half an hour. It's going to be a laugh. We chuck it back. Problem solved. If you win, you do. If you don't, you don't. It don't really matter. So um, yeah. yeah, I think that year especially they did right with um, with the spiel it was a very good year for nominees, and perhaps this year might be the same. But Ooh. who knows? But we will talk about that in a moment after we have a quick break. But remember, you are with the Dice Men Cometh. On Edge Radio 99.3 FM, we are proudly brought to you by our good friends at LFG Australia. That is LFG-AUS.com. Check them out. They have lots of cool stuff. And we're going to mention it before the show ends, but remember the competition that the Dice Men have at the moment, which will be in its final days when this episode comes out. We have a $100 gift voucher to give away to LFG um, Australia. Cause they have lots of good stuff and they can send it right to your door because who wants to go out anyway so we'll be back after whatever i put in the edit g'day my name is david i'm from grail games and when i want to listen to an aussie podcast i listen to the dice men cometh mate so, oh, that was whatever I put in the edit on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men Cometh. Proudly brought to you by our LFG friends. Now, we're going to talk about the biggest, the bestest, board gameiest awards in all of the world coming out of our good friends in Germany, the Spiel des Jahres. They were announced just about a week or so ago, just after our last episode came out. Now, Garthy boy, have you got the list there in front of you? Or do I
0: yeah, I to... certainly do. No, I've got it. I've got it here, and I just am filled with shame and embarrassment at the absolutely pathetic number of these that I've played. Well, first so... off, we're
1: going to completely ignore the the Kinder Spiel, not because we're against children's games. We love them, but like nearly every single year, they're games that have like I've never heard of any of these. There's a, probably a good mm. chance that none of them are going to come in an English version and to Australia, which is weird considering their kids' games it would be so easy to convert.
0: But they very rarely are. Yeah, fair enough, too. Well, look, let's get... But they're always fantastic. Yeah, oh, look, I think, you know, they are there. There's, you know, very quickly, Hedgehog Roll Photo Fish and versindy Roboter. So (laughs) if anyone's interested, you can take a look at those. But, but yeah, look, so if we go to the the actual gamers' games before, you know, these are the, the hardcore ones for us, hardcore gamers, you've got Cartographers which is in the role player universe you've got the crew the cooperative trick-taking game and then you've got the king's dilemma which oh i'd like to get my hands on that one as well because it is this potentially a game of thronesy style you know intertwining relationships and ebb and flow and making really big decisions and then you yeah you mix it up with something let's let itty bitty and the crew when even cartographers are tiny and and you just go it's a really really eclectic mix of three games i think yeah
2: Yeah. i've only played one of those i've only played cartographers um i i've heard a lot about the crew i've heard a lot of buzz Mm -hmm. about that um and i've heard a, a bit about um the king's dilemma the king's dilemma is like a campaign style game so i'm never gonna get a chance yeah, to play I was gonna say they like, just they just don't work for me I, it,
1: it, it looks awesome but i mean i don't think it's yeah. got a shout in the world of winning at all i mean even no put it I I way, pandemic legacy so. couldn't win it i'm pretty yeah. sure no legacy games winning it that's just from my point of view anyway um how was cartographers anyway Ian? is it any different than the Bisquillion other roland rights, other than the fact that it's got a cool fantasy theme to it
2: um it was okay um it had some slight graphic design weirdness. Getting past that. Um, I, I like Roland Wrights, but I like the very, I, I tend to prefer the abstract Roland Wrights. Because yep. for me, Roland Wright sits in a, a really nice um, position of, I can teach it to anybody. It's a filler. It's really quick. Uh, a nice couple of casual decisions and we're done. So for me, my favorite Roland rights are like Quinto and um, Ganshon Clever, like that type of thing. That's where that's my sweet spot for Roland Wrights. Once they start bringing in theme and, and more, comp, even, you know, they're not complex, but slightly more complex things, they kind of just overstay their welcome for me. And at that point, I'd rather just go, okay, let's just play a, a light Euro or, a, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, fair uh, so
2: Cartographers falls into that a little bit for me, it's just a little too fussy of a design for a Roland Wright, um, but it's I think I'm the exception, I, it's, I've heard a lot of people who really like it
1: well, like I said, at the end of the day it doesn't matter because the crew is going to win, end of story uh, but however, the, the, short list, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the short list I found quite interesting because on the short list for this, there was um, uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom mm. which was Awesome. There was Rez Arcana, which I think was quite good, which I think could have quite easily fit on the three as opposed to, say, the King's Dilemma to make it a bit more of a, ooh, that could maybe have an outside chance. And then uh, Underwater Cities, which, did you play that, Garth? And it went much longer than
0: it should play, have. did play, I dominated. Right. Oh, man, I owned that game. That was really good. Oh, no, look, you know. It was our very first game of BorderCon last year, and it was probably one of the only wins I had all weekend. But look, I liked it, but I think it's it's arguably too much of a heavy game for it to be considered. I, I think it's too long and too complicated, and I I think even Paladins is sort of at the the high yeah. end of complexity for for what you know the the um, the bill has been in recent years. So yeah. it's, look it's for e- me,
2: sorry, I was gonna. It's it's even weird that um. Uh, um, underwater Cities is on the recommended list. Like it's such a heavy game compared to everything else that's under consideration, you know.
0: Yeah, which look as a gamer, I like the fact that you know a heavy game is getting a bit of recognition there. But it's just it's in company that it probably shouldn't be in. So yeah, so
2: the the Kender is supposed to be kind of you, you know you've you've had your first game and that's your your regular Spiel as yours game. The Kender Spiel is supposed to be your next game. Yep. that's the point of it so it's not really a heavy gamers game it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be like literally your second game your next game. step yeah, yeah and I don't dilemma, think
1: dilemma let's play a game 20 times
2: right yeah 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 maybe <laughs> which is just not going to happen but anyway so, so look let's... I mean yeah I, I
0: I think the crew is the no-brainer in that one but that just means by me saying it it's not going to win so <laughs> look we'll go into the the big one the spiel so the three games that are nominated are My City by the good doctor Rainer Knizia Nova Luna by Uwe Rosenberg, and then Pictures uh, by Daniela and Christian Storr. Um, I have played zero of these games, so I could toss a three-sided coin and that would be as good as my guesses at the moment.
1: Yeah, I um, I think I'd seen the box of Nova Luna when this was announced, and I was like, <laughs> okay. And then the other two, and I was just like, okay. And then I looked at all the recommendation, uh, recommended ones, because there's about seven or eight recommended. And even those, mm. I was like...
0: Okay.
2: <laughs> and normally we guess...
0: rely on normally we rely on BorderCon and now LFG to be able to get all these games played before the announcement. Not happening this year so, um, yeah, so Ian so... have you got any, got any yes, red hot tips?
1: Me and Garth are pretty much useless so Ian it's all <laughs> on you please to explain. So, what,
2: what is board game please? Mm, so I've played Nova Luna just this weekend. Yes. I've played it twice. Um, I have not to be honest, even before the nominations, I hadn't even heard of the other two games, so no, I cannot honest. help you there. <laughs> um, but Nova Luna is—it's uh, quite nice. It as a as a, as a Spiel game, it's I think it's pretty well suited. It 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 shares a lot with um, uh, Patchwork, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a it's a two to four player game this time. So again, <clears throat> more of a family-friendly version. There's a little bit more going on than Patchwork. The, the, I don't know if you've played Patchwork, but um, how it works is you've got these tiles in a circle um, that you can take. There's a marker that says you can take any of the tiles, any of the three tiles to the right clockwise of this marker. And every tile has a a time cost on it. And as you take the tile, whichever you choose, you pay that time cost by moving your little marker around the track. Um, And it works in a way that whoever is furthest back on the time track, it's their turn. Mm-hmm. So you can have multiple turns in a row if you take low cost tiles. If you take a big one, then you know, you know, there's the uh cost benefit thing of your you get maybe the tile you want, but you're not gonna get a turn for a while.
0: Sure.
2: Uh and then when you take a tile, you put it in your sort of tableau in front of you. Uh and each tile has a little uh a set of goals on it, which are basically it could be like four yellow or two blue. And what that means is um when, so if it's four yellow, for instance, if that tile has four yellow tiles connected to it, then that goal is fulfilled and you put your little, um, little marker on the goal. Uh, and the object is to get rid of all your markers, whoever does that first. So it, it is actually a race game as well, because it's literally whoever does it first is the winner flat out. That's it. There's no one last turn or anything like that.
0: And for you as, a, as an expert, does it satisfy the criteria of a Spiel game?
2: yeah I, I think so it's a it's a it's one of those games that is as thinky as you want it to be you can play it very casually and you can just take tiles and kind of go oh that works with that and you know I put that beside that and I fulfill this etc cetera, etc cetera. or you can go for all these you can play it like an efficiency puzzle Yep. um which is really I guess what it is but um you know you can go for all these different combos of tiles that work well together and uh, so does the spatial aspect of it um, can be a bit of a, a brain melter kind of you know it's, you <laughs> kind of think where is the best place to put this tile because I need another tile to fit in there and then that'll help that goal you know it's all these different it's a spatial puzzle basically in front of you um, it looks pretty that's that's all yeah and to, it, it looks the, okay oh, it's got you're... no theme but I don't care about that uh, personally I know some a lot of people might but it's an abstract game it has as much theme as azul or patchwork probably less even to be honest <laughs> it, does have a lovely moon.
1: it does have a lovely moon figure in it though which is something yeah cool.
2: it does a rotating moon face yeah um it's a nice game it's 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 clever the rules are, are super simple um but it has a nice uh level just nice little level of decision making on your turn turns move really quick um excellent yeah it's good the only thing that I, 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 it's a player issue really <laughs> more than a uh more than a game issue but you, like i said you could play it very casually there is a danger that you will have one person in the group who it just breaks their brain you know that that spatial puzzle you know i worked on a game called pipeline which is a, a much heavier game but i know that that's a spatial game <laughs> yeah and i know that a lot of people it just melts their brain just that only that spatial element of it so maybe there's an aspect of that here
0: i think i most recently experienced that playing barrage that just oh man that just did my head in (laughs) for the first third third to half of a game and i i really want to play it again but still oh that was painful to start off with
2: yeah no it's it's good but so i I think there's a danger that some people you know might take a bit longer on their turns just because of that um but no i i think it's a it's a nice game
1: but either way, you heard it here first that Nova Luna is probably gonna win because sadly <laughs> sadly Paranormal Detective wasn't nominated. It wasn't even shortlisted, and that is the biggest crime against board gaming. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> So anyway, we need to wrap this up because our little timer is saying we've only got about five minutes or so left. So we're going to say thank you very much to to our good friend, Mr. Ian two for joining us. Thank you very much, Ian. But first, we need to find out from you, when are we next seeing you on our tables? Not you physically, as in your (laughs) influence. What's the next thing coming out that you can think of Um, that has your name stapled with big, bold letters on the front of it?
2: The next thing that's going to be delivered is probably um, maybe Rococo or Kanban.
0: Okay. Yeah, cool. That Kanban looks so beautiful. Oh, man. That that box just looks awesome, man.
2: And
1: <laughs> on, on Mars was you as well, I believe? <laughs> that was me, yeah. Yes, because Garth has that sitting probably just left of camera right yep, now. It's right there. So that is it's going right to be, right as soon as we're allowed to sit on a table together, that is going to be cracked out and we will let you know how we go with that. I'm sure Good luck. it'll be a belter. But yeah, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure as always. No problem. Thank you.
0: Excellent. Well, look, yeah, we uh, we better get our competition talked about very quickly before we, we go. So look again, as Leon mentioned earlier, LFG, our sponsors have been very generous and given us a $100 voucher to give away to a listener just for listening. So all they need to do, should they want to, is send us a photo or a video or an anything of playing a game in isolation. There's a lot of people at home and a lot of people who would like a hundred dollars of free money to buy another game with. So if that is you make sure you send a picture to dicemencometh at gmail.com stick it up on our Facebook page or our Instagram or our Twitter, all of those things are at Dicemen Cometh uh, and you could be a lucky winner. I guess we better, be announcing that pretty soon we are so that we can then move be. on to the next competition again. Cause I've still got games up there that we have been um, very generously given that we need to give away and find new homes for.
1: Yes. Garth is correct. This competition is going to be going for probably maybe three or so days after this episode comes out. So if you're interested in free money for free games, probably just send us a cheeky photo that you've probably got in your phone anyway. Hey. And as Garth said, we are going to be having another competition start straight away after that. And, Who knows what that game's going to be because I can't bother looking at the stack at the moment and who knows who our next special guest is going to be because there's so many lovely people in Australia and the world that, of course, want to join us when we ask them politely. So this has been episode 306 of The Dice Men. Cometh, you have been with Leon and you have
0: been with Mr. Garth. And also with Ian. So thank you very much. And we will be back in around a fortnight.
1: Bye. Bye-bye, all. Stay safe. Love ya. Mwah.
0: You've been listening to another episode of the Dicemen Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their flagship events, LFG Sydney and LFG SN Unplugged, as well as their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.